Hello, everyone, and welcome to Football, a podcast, episode 15, where we discuss the NFC East. I am joined with uh, my boys, Matt and Bill. What's going on? And we have uh, a lot to talk about since players got in front of the microphone again uh, recently when they were going back to their teams for OTAs and offseason workouts. And a lot of them said some stupid stuff recently. But uh, what's going Mm. on, Matt and Bill? How are you? Speaking of microphones, I have my normal one back so I don't sound like I'm in a wind tunnel or you can't hear me breathe all my breaths. <laughs> I thought you sounded I thought you sounded good though for the equipment you were working with, all things considered. That's true. That's true. Rackety ass headphones. Anyway, I, I digress, just, Bill. I'm I'm just hoping not to add to the continuum of dumb things said in front of microphones. Um so well, we'll start, I guess, with, with a wave on Bell, and I guess I, I can't be too harsh because this wasn't in front of a microphone. This was in front of, a, a, what, an Instagram uh, keyboard that makes it worse. or something? That, yeah. yeah. So it's worse. Time to think it's about worse. It. Yeah. That's uh, where the big the big news comes is from Instagram d- nowadays. It's true. It's true. So he tweeted. I don't have the quote in front of me, but he tweeted out about how he would never play for Andy Reid again. He would rather retire and then once pushed back on those comments he uh kind of stepped he kind of went he kind of uh you know pushed back a little bit or stepped back a little bit then he also didn't so it was a weird you know every time you hear about Le'Veon Bell now he's just bitching nowadays so this one I think I'm actually reminded of a um of a scene from Breaking Bad uh where Walter is trying to take uh, half measures versus full measures. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's the greatest show of all time in my humble opinion. Uh, and it doesn't work out very well at all for him. Not, you know, giving any away to like the four people who haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it. I'm um, one of those four. Okay. Okay. But this is a half measure and I have a, I have a semi-serious take and then I have a full serious take on this. Okay. My semi-serious take on this is dude, if you're gonna, if you're gonna say something like that, Don't apologize. Just double down. I mean, for your own brand, if you're saying like, hey, I was I was still in great shape. There's no reason that Andy Reid needed to uh, to 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 bench me or to to underutilize me, then fine. Like, shoot your shot. Say that and and stand by it. Don't wimp out because of I, I can't imagine there's a, a entire like legion of Andy Reed trolls out there that are like going to, f- you know, flood your social media for saying something like mildly critical of Andy Reed, like stay on your ground, dude. Um, on the other hand, um, to, to take this in a more serious route, I think that any time that you're talking bad about your, in, your former employer, and you don't currently have an employer, that's a bad idea. Um, you know, this, this, the NFL, like it or not, is a very incestuous business. And there's a lot to be said for, you know, people talk, owners talk. And if they think even, even if they get a whiff that you're a problem, then your prospects are, are going to be less than they would have otherwise been. Um, and as a, you know, 30 year, is he 30 yet? He's gotta be 30. He feels I like have he's no idea. I can look it up. feels like he's 42 for how long we've been, you know, he's been in the league, but well, his body's I mean, probably 42 at how much he's been. Yeah. Doing. For, for the mileage that you have as a running back uh, and the fact that you've shown nothing since you really, since you left Pittsburgh, um, probably not the best business decision either to, to be bad mouthing, you know, a former uh, coach. So, I mean, it's, Nothing more than I would expect from from Le'Veon Bell. Just, I mean, 
if you're gonna go that route own it and go that route and don't backpedal don't be a don't be a gen z wuss and mm-hmm. just just own it man he's that's young, all i gotta say about that he's a young 29 actually which is even more unbelievable whatever no i'm saying like that's that's so unbelievable he's a young young 29, young 29. yeah you're you're probably right though he's got like a 45 year old's body because <laughs> because mike tomlin ran him into the ground yeah absolutely i'm actually gonna pull up another running back just to see like where they can where they stand on like uh touches um but uh, Matt, any hot takes on him? I mean, my take is pretty much this guy's washed, and that, to your point, Bill, he ruined any chance because, yeah, even in the workplace, in the normal workplace, 9-to-5 workplace, if you bash your current employer on social media and every new employer now does social media checks, you know, they're going to see that and think twice. They're going to think that's going to be me one day being bashed, and I don't want to deal with it. So I think he's washed, shot his only chance at getting, you know, getting maybe not getting back in the league, but – um, that's that's as far as I can I can say. Yeah, it's it's funny to me because has there been anyone in the NFL in recent memory who has been the architect of their own demise <laughs> more than Le'Veon Bell has? Like even dating back to the holdout in Pittsburgh, or uh, even actually let's even go before that. But in 2017, you know, we're focused talking about his contract the week that they get blown out by the Jaguars in the in the divisional round game, coming off of a bye week, uh, getting blown out by a by a Blake Bortles led Jags team. Um, you know, talking about the New England Patriots and as if the Jaguars didn't even exist. Uh, he was the one who who stoked some of those flames and. Um, really had Jacksonville motivated just to whip Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Um, then you go through the holdout year, this failed rap career, um, you know, all this other nonsense that he's sort of gotten into and you know, signing with the Jets, um, poor business decision. And then even you go to last year and he had probably when the Jets cut him, I think he had three, maybe four, really serious suitors and picked probably the worst one to go to because he had Buffalo, Miami and Kansas city that were, that were the most interested teams and Buffalo was ready to to like go to this dude and just give him their backfield and be like, you're our starting running back. You're our guy. You're better than Singletary. You're better than Zach Moss. Like we're going to use you as in the premium back role and he decided to go to in Miami probably would have done the same thing. Maybe he would have given up a few more touches to like Miles Gaskin or or some of the other backs in that backfield. But he decides to go to Kansas City to play second fiddle to Clyde Edwards Alaire. And I don't know what sort of sell job Andy Reid maybe did in or maybe that's what he's mad about is like Andy Reid sold him on being the that feature can be back. The only thing, right? That's the only thing I can think of, or it could be something that like Andy Reid was like, "We're not playing you because you suck," and maybe it was like a shot to his a shot to his ego or something like that. I think that's something that Le'Veon Bell is going to have to struggle with because he left in the prime of his career, and and he wasted one of the best years of his career on that holdout season, and he's he's one of those guys that, and this is this happens with a lot of football players whether you're at the the high school, college, like everyone's got that. It was like, well, I was really good one time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got old or my body doesn't work the way it was. Mm-hmm. And the opportunities are gone and the suitors aren't calling and the people aren't, aren't, you know, you're not getting the accolades that you once were. 
and he's probably lived his entire life. He was a pro athlete in high school. He was that dude in college. He was that dude. He was that dude for a good portion of time in the NFL. And it's hard for people to be like, I'm just the shell of who I once was. Like that's, that's a, that's a hard thing for anyone to really like, like, okay, cool. Time has passed me by. It's not exclusive to football players, but it's something that they really have to deal with because, you know, football players are getting patted on the back far more than like I am for doing my regular, you know, nine to five job well, you know, and when that passes me by or when the times change and I'm not quite as relevant as maybe I once was, it's going to be a little bit easier for me to recover because I wasn't making millions of dollars (laughs) and I wasn't going to strip clubs and holding out and riding jet skis and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. I have ridden a jet ski. Um, that's not a commentary on one's character. <laughs> if you've ridden a jet ski, I don't think you're a bad person or you're like Le'Veon Bell. But but that's probably what he's dealing with too here is like trying to prove and desperately like clinging to relevance. Um, because a lot of people are probably looking at him like potential suitors that might want to bring him uh, into, their, into their roster. Like you couldn't do it in Kansas City. You no longer have the, like, I played for Adam Gase and I played for the terrible New York Jets franchise. Like, you couldn't do it in Kansas City. You're useless now, which, you know, that's got to be hard. And I think he's probably got some resentment built up towards that organization because they didn't use him. Um, one, they should have never signed him. And Andy Reid was, handled his running back room horrifically as someone who was pretty invested in Clyde edwards Alaire in fantasy. Um, I mean, he was horrific at managing that situation, and he wasn't placating to the right guys. Should have never even been in the market because edwards Alaire was very productive up until Le'Veon Bell showed up. Um, and it was just a bad situation. I think Le'Veon Bell made, a, made the wrong call. He should have gone to Buffalo. He should have gone to Miami. Um, and I don't know. He's he's not making any headway now with these comments. We've talked at length about the importance, and we've kind of and we've lambasted some uh, um, agents on here about the advice they give. But if there's a a prime example of how agents can make or break your career, Le'Veon Bell is Exhibit A. Everywhere he could have made a bad decision, he did. And mm-hmm. I mean, j- and just make sure. And this is in real life. This is. And, I mean, not, not we're living in fake life. This is in you know non-athletic life and in athletic life. Get someone who's who's going to advise you. That's going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And it's very obvious that this guy had people around him who were just yes men the entire time. And you know he's out of the league or probably going to be out of the league way sooner than he should be. Yeah. Didn't have close to the career he could have had. Um, disappointing, but. Yeah, that's that's what happens when you make bad decisions. Bill, anything else on Le'Veon? I, I mean, no. I mean, as a Steeler, as a Steeler fan, you know, he it was great while it lasted, but he played he played with one of the one of the better lines of football for a couple of years. Um, but but don't get me wrong. I, I know we're I know we're really piling on Le'Veon Bell, but. Um, it's a hard position to, to, to bargain um, for because, I mean, he was ridden so hard by, by the Tomlin regime, um, you know, and, I, and I'd be hard-pressed to say that he didn't have a point in saying, hey, I don't want to, I mean, I want a new contract or, I, you know, I want more pay if you're going to ride me into the ground. Um, but I think the way he did a, 
it was just such a ham-fisted approach to how he did it. Um, I mean, you need to have better advice and surround yourself with better people than that. When you start airing everything out in the media, um, it just it just sours things so much more quickly. Um, and I and I think there's a lesson to be learned there. Um, I think I think Le'Veon Bell, you know, he's going to end up signing with somebody just because of his name. But um, and I I, th- I think his career's those circling the drain, if not yeah. already uh, being flushed down the drain, so to speak. Um, yeah, I um, I think it, to make that contract dispute work, like you mentioned, Bill, he had to come back right before the deadline to accrue a year, and that's the way to make that to change the leverage on your end. But he didn't; he missed the whole season and. I mean that's where he ends up, but so hasn't been the same since. Has not been the same since. And the other player that is actually was in front of the microphone that made some, you know, I don't know, stupid comments, but frustrating ones in my opinion, was Russell Wilson uh, coming back. And if there's if there's one thing I hate, it's being taken for a fool or you know being played as an idiot. And I feel like Russell Wilson just tried to do that to everybody, trying to play dumb. You know, I didn't request a trade and teams were being thrown around you know that 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 wasn't accurate like acting like his agent wasn't the one leaking it i just entirely frustrated by that situation and i don't know maybe that's why i wanted to talk about because i feel like he was trying to play us as a fool um and i have a couple other comments on it but i'm curious to to know if you guys were as frustrated as i was listening to wilson just pretty much gaslight me as a you know and thinking like this is not accurate whatsoever his version well i think i think that um to, to play devil's advocate here just for a second, first of all, what else is he going to say? I mean, he's if he's not going to get traded, then he can't be like, oh, I still want to get traded, but I guess I'll just you know play with Seattle until that happens. Like that's not that's never going to happen. Um, the other thing that I find interesting, um, and I'm curious what you guys think about it, but he he definitely he's absolutely gaslighting everybody, but it's it's pretty transparent that that's what's happening, right? The question is, does that hurt his brand when he goes out, you know, in week one and throws for four touchdowns? Is anybody going to care? Because I, I, I got a sneaking suspicion if I'm a Seattle fan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he's put us through some stuff this offseason. But as soon as he comes out and throws four touchdown passes, it's it's all is forgiven. So, yeah, he's playing everybody for fools. But what does that say about everybody? I guess I just would have rather wished that. And maybe it's not so much with Jess Wilson, but with other athletes too. Just be transparent. I, 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 he didn't have to, you know, tell us everything that happened. But hey, you know, in this off season, there was, you know, difference of opinion. You know, or, or at times last year, there was a difference of opinion between us and co- uh, us and coach. And you know, unfortunately, that got out in the media and the teams that were thrown around. You know, there's a point that maybe we thought, you know, there was going to be a move made. You know, and we just wanted to kind of control that. But nothing happened. I'm here in Seattle. I love being here. That's in the past. You know, I'm focused on this season winning. Just something that did, doesn't make it sound like you know he is just so easily manipulating us and my other issues with the reporter how do you not have a relationship enough to push back on those comments that he made and say well actually russ you know have a professional dialogue and say russ it was your agent that leaked those teams like they weren't getting thrown around you know that was a very pointed uh, that was a very pointed tactic by your team you know can you explain a little bit about that and actually push him to respond instead of just letting him off the hook there so I guess I'm frustrated with the Ross I'm frustrated with the reporter back and forth and I just thought that was such an easy he just got off way too easy by that and just a little bit more transparency I feel like would be nice but you know we've talked at length about how 
Wilson isn't the most maybe transparent person in the NFL, and he has a little bit of phony to him. This man is an absolute and complete <laughs> and total fraud. He's a fraud. He has been a fraud for quite some time. Um, and I I don't know. I'm well documented in the program saying that. Now, listen, the other end of the spectrum is like, listen, Russell Wilson doesn't owe us anything. If Russell Wilson wants to pretend in his fantasy world with his pretend wife and all the, you know, <laughs> pretend wife. Who, who, who runs his entire life. Like, if he wants to be like, yeah, no, like... He's listen. If he wanted to go to Atlanta tomorrow because his 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 wife wants to go there, that's what that's where they're gonna go, right? But he lives in this pretend world. Like he just lives in his own little world where whatever he says is very like, kind of has some of the 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 characteristics of a sociopath. Like I can believe whatever I want and what I believe is true as long as I believe it. Like I, I didn't murder that person, right? Like <laughs> that's that's what I feel like when I see Russell Wilson. Um, but again, he doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't, if he wants to pretend and play in his little world and say like, Oh, you know what? I never requested a trade. That wasn't me. That was, you know, that was a lie or whatever, you know, uh, even though it's like clearly discernible that the truth was, yeah, you did request a trade. Yeah. Your agent did leak teams. Yeah. You were playing this ball game for quite some time. Um, but he doesn't owe anybody an explanation. Um, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't give me or you or anyone else the right to be like, hey, dude, you're a fraud. And yeah. uh, your man of the year thing is probably BS because your whole life is a PR stunt. And that's how I feel about Russell Wilson. End of take. Did I hear snap in there too, Matt? Did you just snap oh, at the end of your take? I may I may or may not have. <laughs> Incredible. That was that, Listen, that's I've, how you end it with emphasis right there. I've got a double McAllen today <laughs> okay, because I, nice. I got towards the end of the bottle and I was kind of like I don't know man like do I really want to wait like let's just do the double so so you're getting, was, was you're that getting s- unfiltered <laughs> was that snap just you pegging it Matt Oh God! <laughs> no, that was that was the that was the snap of a um, of Keenan Thompson playing Mike Davis in a Medea in a Medea movie. Oh, yeah. oh Mike Davis reference! Yay! Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Who's is Mike com- Davis a communist? We, we don't know. We, it's a very a very popular question to ask on Google. So I guess I'm the only one that had my panties <laughs> in a bunch about the Wilson thing. Um, so the other person I, that we could talk about briefly about, you know, and, and I don't want to blast this person for being too transparent after I just said Russell wasn't enough, but you have to wonder about the strategy of Mark Murphy, um, you know, calling uh, Aaron Rodgers a complicated fella. I'm not going to, I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to blast him for saying that. I'm just going to question the strategy behind it. Um, and I don't know what his goal was there. It's almost like at this point, he seems like he doesn't want Rodgers to show up. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you had seen that, that happened real, I think in the last, last like two days or something. So I don't know if you guys had caught that or, or cared to be honest. I think I think the strategy behind that is that they legitimately do not care what Aaron Rodgers does anymore. Yeah, he has no leverage. Um, I don't think Rodgers has leverage, but guys. Yeah, and we've talked about that, but like at the end of the day, if it, it if you're a difficult person to work with, if you're just, you know, one of those people that walks in the office and they complain about something and your eyes just roll. Yep. I I guarantee you there's tons of people in the Packers locker room, in the Packers front office that just when Rodgers talks, they just all they hear is nails on a chalkboard. It makes them roll their eyes. And I guarantee that that's that's a little bit of what this comment means. Like, and you know what? It, it if Rodgers doesn't show 
then that just means that you have Jordan Love on his rookie contract and you actually get to see what he performs like. And you actually get a chance to maybe justify that pick in and, you know, revitalize it from from being critiqued as much as it's been as one of the worst draft picks in NFL history. And who knows what ends up happening? Maybe Jordan Love by, you know, I, I don't foresee this happening. I, I'm not overly high on Jordan Love, but maybe after a couple of years um, absorbing the system, having NFL coaching, maybe all of a sudden he does show up and he does have a solid year and Aaron Rodgers can spend, you know, Le'Veon Bell style. He can spend 2021 moping on the sidelines and, and crying and talking about the proletariat. <laughs> I just I think that's the message here is like we don't really care what you do. We don't need you. We'll go and you know we maybe we won't go to the NFC Championship game, but at least we'll have an organization that we can build around or someone who actually wants to be here. Um, and listen, Devonte Adams is playing this game of like I'm standing behind Aaron. As soon as he catches a touchdown from Jordan Love, ain't gonna matter anymore because his paychecks are gonna be dependent on Jordan Love now, and his loyalties will switch. Real quick, unless Jordan Love is terrible, um, unless he's terrible, right? And then and then it's going to be you know, and, and that's very well could be the case. But if he's terrible, then Green Bay knows what they have to do. They're going to need to go get another quarterback, which they're going to have to do anyway because Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to play there. So, if so Rod- go for it. If Rodgers doesn't show, the one thing he gives the Packers is an out because now they can say, "Hey, we weren't expecting to." you know, Jordan loved to play so soon. If he sucks this year, it's, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's part of our plan that he was going to play next year. I mean, they mm-hmm. he gives them a, a, a mulligan for this year on whatever Jordan Love does. Um, and, yeah, like you said, they could look at that and say, hey, we don't have the guy, and then go out and, and look for him next year, where, look for a franchise guy next year and not really take the backlash they would they kind of deserve or would get um, if they just punted on him. Um, right out of the gate, but um, Bill, your thoughts? Any thoughts? Uh, you know, I, I think I think it just displays some frustration. Uh, you know, but he he, he also made a, another comment, right? You know, uh, I think a little bit before that, if I'm not mistaken, that said basically, this is dividing the the locker room. I think he mentioned that as well. I, I think it's frustration. I do agree with with Matt's thoughts on you know, hey, this gives us. This gives us an out if if this doesn't end up working out. Um, I I don't think it was necessary for Murphy to to say that. Really, for no other reason than it, that it doesn't present a united front. I mean, you got Lafleur and and Gutenkins yeah. out there saying the right things. Um, you need to you need to stay on the same page with uh, with the rest of your ownership team and your leadership team. Uh, I don't think it was necessary. I I think he's trying to convey frustration without out and out saying, yeah, Rogers is driving me nuts. Um, you know, I, I don't think there was really a, a hell of a lot of meaning beyond that. I, I think that that's just, I think that's just how he chose to express it. But, but again, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's, um, it's it's small time. Rogers is playing chess, and and you know that that is a that is a checkers playing comment right there. <laughs> yes, I agree. I don't think Rogers is playing chess. The guy's playing more, strictly out of emotion. More, I think he's playing chess more so than the Packers are or have been. I agree. 
Well, he's California. And I think leaking. Yeah. He's Berkeley educated. <laughs> he's so right. superior yeah. to everyone. The dude. The dude looks like he he smells his own farts, like the like the smug episode in San Francisco at South Park. <laughs> Sorry, diatribe I don't know about that. No, yeah. Uh, so sociopath to uh, uh, Russell Wilson, Matt described, and then smart feller or, or fart smeller, smart feller, fart smeller to Aaron Rodgers. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, getting getting aggressive early. I like it. <laughs> it's the McCallum kicking in. Uh, the last housekeeping item or player to talk about, I guess, is Stephon Gilmore, who, as of recording a few hours earlier, did not show for um, whatever camp they're in, or OTAs, or whatever Mini it's camp. called. Mini, Mini camp, camp, thank you. Yeah. Um, and if you guys remember, not to pat myself on the back, I said last episode when we did the AFC East, or two episodes ago, that – you know, he is, watch, he's a prime candidate to, to you know, get released or get traded. And I feel like this may seal the deal uh, for him, his time in New England. I think it probably will. I mean, but that's that's how that's how Belichick has always operated. He, he'll get cut and, he, you know, he'll sign somewhere for a couple years and be mediocre and then he'll retire. And then he'll talk about how great of a coach Bill Belichick was, and he'll go to all of the you know Super Bowl reunion parties, and and all be hunky dory. That's just the way that that the Patriots operate. So how does how does if Gilmore is not there, so he decides, um, or the Patriots trade him, or he gets cut, or or whatever happens here, how does that affect your AFC East grades, Zach? I know you were the person who had the Patriots winning the division. Um, how does that make them fall or, or does it really matter? Uh, to my opinion, it doesn't affect it too much because w- when I was giving those grades, I was assuming that he was not going to be a part of that team the entire season. Um, and I, w- the one thing I am interested, though, to see everyone talks about how good J.C. Jackson is and how he's, you know, an elite defender and how he's underrated. I 100% agree, but it's also very easy you know, or not, I shouldn't say very easy. It's easier to fill that role when you have Stephon Gilmore on the other side. So I don't, I'm interested to see if he maintains the same level of excellence that he has on the other side of Gilmore when he is, when he's the guy. So that's the one thing with, with, with Gilmore leaving, I will be interested to see is JC Jackson as elite as he is with Gilmore on the, on the field. Bill, how does it change your ranking? I'm kind of with Zach. I don't think that it, I don't think it really changes the win total. Um, obviously, it's better to have him than not, uh, unless you're considering J.C. Jackson, you know, that next guy, which, which you know, maybe they are. Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily see it dropping my my total um, of of wins. I mean, that's I my reason for optimism didn't really have to do with their secondary anyway. It it dealt with some of the other moves that they made, and uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Um, that was my original outlook on them anyway. Matt, what about you? Anything? Yeah, it, it would actually change the way I viewed okay. the team. I don't, I don't know if they would be quite as effective defensively. And the reason I say that is Jalen Mills is probably the next person who would move into this as a starting corner um, and Jalen Mills is a fine enough player, but, but that's certainly a drop off from Stefan Gilmore um, to him. And the other pieces like Zach mentioned, it's going to be hard for JC Jackson to be as effective as he's been without someone um, as talented as Gilmore on the other side of the defense. Um, 
And I think there's something to be said for having a lockdown guy, a guy that can play that that really stringent bump, bump and run man coverage. Um, and we talked a little bit about this with when we talked about the Jets. Um, we talked about like kind of the the previous um, excellence of Revis Island, but it allows you to play this kind of hybrid style of defense where you can just go to Gilmore and say you're locking up your man, like you're going to lock up your guy. We'll do different blitz packages. Keeps the quarterback guessing as to what, you know, he may be giving a man look, but the rest of the defense is giving a zone look, and you don't really know what kind of like that amoeba sort of confusing defense. Um, Guys like Gilmore, guys like Jalen Ramsey, um, in the the mold of Darrell Revis, I think play that role really well, and and those defenses are uh, elevated because of their presence. So, you know, I would say it would change – Maybe a couple of games. Uh, they they may not win one. They could drop one to to a team that's got a, a pretty solid crop of receivers, like like a, a game against Miami that maybe they should win, or maybe we would expect them to win in New England because that's been kind of the the back and forth between those two franchises. Whoever's at home wins the game. Um, they could drop one in New England because Miami's got uh, you know Tua against Gilmore doesn't work out super well. But against Jalen Mills and J.C. Jackson, maybe those receivers can out-talent the defensive back enough that it changes the flow of the game or sways the game on a big play or, or a play where the DB makes a mistake. Um, so it would affect, but I would say a ton. I wouldn't say I had them at nine wins. I wouldn't drop them to like six. I would say, you know, okay, they're still around that between seven and nine win range, in my opinion. And that's not to say that he's for sure leaving, but... The Patriots kind of bent over backward for him last year, accelerated $4 million, you know, paid him $4 million a year ahead of time, doing him a solid, and then he repays him this year, repays him this year by holding out. I just think that's the fast track to, you know, finding your way out of New England uh, sooner than later. So any, uh, any other thoughts or any other players or scenarios that happened in the last few days that you all want to talk about before we get to our NFC East uh, breakdown here, the NFC least breakdown. Jumping yeah, let's, into let's the, get to it. Jumping into the NFC East, just one little player piece. Uh, JJ Arthega Whiteside puff piece came out. Oh, best shape really? of his life. <laughs> really? Ooh, yeah. Best shape of his life. <laughs> That's hysterical because he's trash. Uh, <laughs> what? What? Wow. Any specifics or just that no, he's looking in good shape? Yeah, he's in good shape. He looks good in minicamp, like literally every other player that looks like it's whatever. So, so. Have we ever had an instance where somebody is like, who actually showed up, that goes to minicamp and like, wow, this guy looks like garbage? I think you know there, I mean? I think there like, kind of was a few years ago. And I can't Jamarcus Russell. Wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. I have yeah. one. Kelvin Benjamin. Yes. Remember Kelvin yes, Benjamin? I, I just I just thought of that. I'm like, didn't he show up like morbidly obese to a to a like an OTAs or something? Okay. Well, those I, are, I just I answered my own question. Those are both excellent segues because both of those players, JJ Arcega Whiteside and Kelvin Benjamin, are in the NFC East this year. That I consider kind of the overhyped division, just because of either good or bad, because of the markets all these teams are in: Philadelphia, New York, Washington. You know, and then the Dallas franchise. Everything's always worse than it seems. Everything's always better than it seems with with these uh, with these teams. So uh, we'll start with the Eagles first, who their issues started early in the off season with Brandon Brooks or Brandon Brooks ter- tearing his Achilles, and then everyone else got hurt in training camp or before training camp. 
um, cluster F in the front office among the coaching staff players, the whole Carson Wentz saga. Um, and then they, they're getting, they've gotten recent backlash because they took Jalen Rieger ahead of all pro, I don't know if all pro rookie, uh, but a incredible rookie in Justin Jefferson at the same need that they had. So um, I guess initial thoughts on what they did last year or how they finished last year and what they did in the offseason to come into uh, 2021. Bill, jump into it. Take it. This this team is is such a such kind of a tough nut to crack. Obviously, they they have uh, I don't know if "lost" is the right word. Carson Wentz. I don't necessarily know how much they miss him. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like he was kind of broken at the end of the year. But um, you're right, Zach. I think a lot of the um, positives to see actually come. So Brandon Brooks, who's one of the best guards in the in the league. Uh, coming back, um, you know, the other perennially hurt guy is, is Lane Johnson, the right tackle. Um, I, I think he's healthy as well. I think when this when this offensive line is healthy, they're good. Um, you know, I think from a from a skill position outside of the quarterback, I think they're pretty well set. Um, I think Miles Sanders is a is a good running back. I, I don't think he's a game breaker by any means, but I think he's shown enough. Um, and again, he was running behind a subpar offensive line uh, for most of the year last year. I think Boston Scott is a really good gadget guy. He's a you know a fun guy to watch. Um, I think Devonte Smith um, was the answer um, to to their to their prayers and to the prayers of Eagles fans because they needed a wide receiver in the worst way. Uh, and yeah, I know they drafted Jalen Rager last year, and I, I still think Rager is going to end up being good, but he's a little bit more specialized. He's a lot more of that deep threat kind of guy. Where Devonte Smith is is one of those people that can, you know run every route um, and, and really open up the, the, the field alongside Rager. Uh, and they still have Travis Fulgham, who was, you know, I think he had that one game where he had like 14 catches or something. I mean, yeah. I, 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 he's a big body. I think he's a good possession guy. Greg Ward there too. Um, they still have Ertz and, and Goddard. I don't know if Ertz is going to start anymore or if he's going to get traded. I know there was some scuttlebutt, uh, you know, in the off season about that, but he's still on the roster. Um, he's but I think from traded, an, I think, I, I think he's going to end up traded too. Um, but I, I don't think that that hurts them. Cause I think Goddard's, you know, ready to, to come into his own and be, you know, one of those upper tier tight ends. Um, I think a lot of this is going to come down to Jalen hurts, um, and whether he can actually, you know, throw the ball to the, to the effect that they need him to. Now he had a couple games. I mean, you look at the three game stretch that he, that he played at the end of the season. Um, you know, he was, uh, the yardage totals were 167, 338 and 342. He threw five touchdowns to two interceptions. Um, his completion percentage was not great. I mean, it was, you know, 54, 55, um, but his rushing total made up for that too. Now, I don't necessarily know if he's the type of quarterback where you build your entire offense around his ability to run the ball as well. But, um, I think the offense is going to be better. Um, I see them being, you know, a sort of a league average. I do think that the defense is still the strength of this team. You've still got Fletcher Cox, uh, John Hargrave, uh, Brandon Graham's getting a little bit older, but he can still play. They added Ryan Kerrigan in the offseason as well. Um, I think he's still got some stuff left in the tank. I am 
most concerned though about that about the secondary. Um, you know, you you could throw on the Eagles um, like clockwork last year, um, and I don't necessarily know if they've really done a lot to upgrade it to the point of not being the Achilles heel of the defense. Um, all in all, I see. I, I think this team will compete, um, but I I like. I like some of the other um, groups better. I don't think they finish in the basement this year. Um, I've got them at about, I've got them at about eight wins. Okay. Um, but I think they'll be in the conversation for the division, which I again anticipate to not be very good on the whole. Um, I, I think they'll be in the conversation until the end of the year. Um, but if if Hertz proves that he's not the guy, it may end up being a longer year than than Eagles fans would like to see. So, Bill, you think they're going to double their win total from last year to this year? And, and Matt, what do you uh, what do you think? I I thought they had one of the more I think going back to their their coaching search and the decision to go with with Hertz over Wentz, one of the more puzzling off seasons where you bring in a guy who's a who's a Frank Reich disciple. Um, it seems like they're continuously trying to recapture the magic of that 2017 yep. run of, of, you know, was it really Doug Peterson was that good of a coach or was it Frank Reich that really, you know, took this offense to a different level. So you bring in a Frank Reich disciple with the hopes that he fixes Carson Wentz, or at least that was the purveying knowledge or, or um, theory. And then you get rid of Carson Wentz. Um, so that was a little bit perplexing to me. Um, I liked I liked their draft. Some of the things they did, uh, they signed or drafting um, Devonta Smith. I thought that was a, a pretty good pick for him. I, I know Zach and I weren't quite as high on him in comparison to how high Bill was, but still quality first round caliber wide receiver uh, is definitely going to help that passing game. Um, but outside of him, I still don't really see a ton of talent. Um, Goddard had flashes. Ertz is not going to be there. Um, I think I, I'm following the boat with you guys that he's either going to be traded or released at some point in time. Um, I do like Travis Fulgham. I think he has a lot to offer. Um, there are a lot of games where he could have much bigger games, um, but the quarterback play, uh, whether it was Wentz or Ertz, was so incompetent at that point in time that you know he, he missed a lot of opportunities throughout the year. Um, I don't think the offense is going to improve that much they were devastated along the offensive line last year um but my main concern still lies with jalen hurts uh he showed flashes he did you know had some really big games but i i would like something a little bit more consistent for my quarterback uh bill mentioned you know completion percentage wasn't that great um i saw him leverage his legs a little bit too quickly um you know, get outside of the pocket, and and I prefer, you know, when I when I'm looking and evaluating quarterbacks, I like that guy that'll stick in there, that'll take the hit, doesn't want to bail right away. Sort of that we always make fun of, like Baker for like the roll right and throw. Um, that's that's kind of what I saw a little bit from Jalen Hurts. So it doesn't mean he won't take a ne- uh, another step in the maturation project uh, um, process, and he may look better this year. Um, but I don't see that there's all those weapons in the passing game that are surrounding him. Um, but if they could run the ball effectively with Miles Sanders, uh, I think that's part of the equation that we need to talk about. If they can do that and take the pressure off of him, 
I think he can be perfectly effective. Uh, but the question is, can you do that? Because they didn't do an overly good job of that last year. Um, the defensive side of the ball, you know, they we talk so much about like Tampa Bay um, and some of these teams about this rotation of just bringing in these pass rushers, bringing in depth on the defensive line. They were missing Hargate, Hargrave last year, so I think him coming back is an instant boost. I love the signing of Ryan Kerrigan. Um, you know, Brandon Graham is still an effective pass rusher, uh, and obviously you've got Fletcher Cox, who's been a force in the middle. Um, if they can develop some depth behind those guys, I think the defensive line is going to be okay, uh, and they can be a pretty stout unit. So, um, I'm I also am a little bit concerned with like their schedule. When I look at their schedule, there's a lot of games when I look at like ooh, Philly versus Atlanta in Atlanta. I'm leaning Atlanta or Philly versus New Orleans. They're kind of comparable similar teams and I kind of just lean away from them a little bit. Um you know, I don't see a lot of games where they're the they're going to be the outright favorite. Um and so when I look at their schedule and in conjunction with some of the challenges that I think they're going to deal with, whether it be the defensive secondary, the passing game, uh, will they actually be able to run the ball? And do they have that depth on the defensive line? There's so many ifs and I lean no on a lot of them. Um, so I'm going to give them five wins. Okay. So I have a trivia question for you all. So I have a trivia question first. Carson Wentz was the last pro bowler that the Eagles drafted <clears throat> before him. Who were the last Pro Bowlers drafted by the Eagles? Any guesses? Well, probably Fletcher Cox got to be one. He wasn't the most recent, but he was he was one of them, correct? Um. Any guess, Matt? Um. Most recent. Oh, Lane Johnson. Yep, Lane Johnson and Zach Ertz in two thousand and thirteen. Were, wow. the last, were the last wow. time they drafted a pro bowler outside of Carson Wentz. And that leads me into my point where if I look at this roster, I think it's bottom 10, maybe bottom 5 um, in the NFL. I think that there's a lot of name recognition. But these players haven't been – they built that Super Bowl team off of those drafts in the 2010s, 11, 12, 13. That's when they drafted Vinnie Curry, Michael Kendricks, Fletcher Cox, Jordan Poyer, uh, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey. Like That's when they drafted that Super Bowl-winning team is those years. And I think we see those names, and it's like, wow – these are good. These are these were great players, but I think they're getting older. They're becoming injured more often, and these injuries, like for Brandon Book Brooks, these are injuries that aren't easy to come back from. Like in Achilles, most athletes are never the same. So I think that they're going to take that they're not going to move forward at all. And I think their recent drafts has really drafts have really killed them. I think that even their strengths have question marks. You look at the team. What do you think of their strengths? Their offensive line. Can they stay healthy? I mean, is Jason Kelsey, you know, still, you know, he is, I feel like he's okay, but can Brandon Brooks come back? Can Lane Johnson stay off the injured list? Um, Andre Dillard, is he going to take a step forward? I mean, who, who knows? He was their first round draft pick in, in 2019. So even the strengths have question marks. And then you look at their D line. Okay, Fletcher Cox is getting along in the tooth. So is Brandon Gray, so is Brandon Graham. I mean, Javon Hargrave, is he. He played well in Pittsburgh, but are we really think he's going to take that next step forward in Philly? I don't know. And then you look at then you look at their secondary, which I think is 
you know, disaster. Anthony Harris should help a little bit. I think he was underrated as a safety in Minnesota. Um, but the linebacker core is, you know, I think that has zero depth and zero talent. Um, sorry if anyone's listening there. Zero talent in reference to other NFL players, not like compared to me. Um, and I think they have one of the worst receiver receiving cores in the NFL. And I, th- and I think if your hope rests on a, on a, you know, a rookie to really uh, be transcendent for your receiver, it's okay if you get that, but I don't think you can count on it. So um, I think Hertz looked okay, which will which will keep them in games. I I think that people who I think, I don't know why, but I feel like people are way more unsure on Jalen Hurts than I am, and I don't know if it's something that I'm missing. I don't think he's I don't think he's uh, you know the next coming of Christ, but I don't think he's I don't think he's you know bad by any stretch of the imagination. So um, I think that. You know, I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be in games, but I think they win four games total uh, this year. Um, and it, some of it is due to to their to their schedule. But I'm curious if we get a Joe Flacco um, appearance at any point in the season. I hope to God. If not. we do, all is lost. <laughs> yeah. So that's my thoughts on on the Eagles there. Yeah, I think you know with Hertz, it's one of those things where, it, and I think Hertz embodies a little bit of what you see from the entire franchise there's so many what ifs and there's so many of those guys that are right on the fringe like Jalen Hurts like he's right on the fringe of if he has a really good year I still don't if he has a really good year I still don't know if this team's going to be wildly successful um so I, I do think there's some some issues all over this roster but when you look at him when you look at the coaching staff when you look at pretty much all over the field. It's like there's, we, we talked a little bit like when we talked with, with the Rams, like you need lottery ticket guys. And we talked about guys who are going to step in for the Rams outside of Aaron Donald, outside of Jalen Ramsey, like who are going to be those lottery ticket guys that, that, you know, they're, they can either be ineffective or they're going to be really effective and you're going to just kind of hit the lottery with them. Um, I feel that way about the entire Eagles roster. But when I'm looking at it and I'm looking at it, if I were to make my bet, I'm like, there's about a, it's like playing a casino slot machine. And you're like, I I might win, you know, three bets out of 25. And I don't think that's going to lead to a very good roster. Um, so I just feel like there's so much uncertainty in, in the schedule, you know, like just to go through this. They play open up with Atlanta in Atlanta. That's a game they could easily lose. San Francisco is going to beat them. Uh, them versus Dallas is a wash, but I kind of lean Dallas. Um, they're going to lose to Kansas City. They're going to lose to Carolina. They're going to lose to Tampa Bay. They've got Las Vegas in Las Vegas. I think that's a game they easily lose. They have Detroit in Detroit. That's a wash to me. They might be able to beat Detroit, but to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure. Um Los Angeles Chargers, they're going to lose. They might beat Denver, but that game is in Denver. Um, I think the teams are comparable uh, in terms of their talent level. Same with New Orleans the the, the following week. Um, I think the Giants are better than them. They play the Jets the next week. That game could be one of those games that Zach Wilson surprises. And, you know, the Jets end up beating them. Uh, They're going to lose to Washington both times. And maybe they beat the Giants at home. Maybe they beat the Cowboys at home. I don't see how you get past, like, more than five wins here. Yeah. So I guess I, I guess I have to defend my position a little bit because I picked them for nine. Um, but I think, eight, I, I I think, think you picked them eight, so it's okay. Did I do eight? Yeah, you did eight because it doubled from last. Was it eight? Year. Yeah, you did eight. Okay. Well, I mean, 
here's the reason I think this. I think when you have a team that was completely hurt last year, um, I, I think they're going to come back, um, you know, especially on the offensive line. I feel like that really killed them last year. Um, I think if they, I think if they stick to the running game, um, it, it, I, it's time for Miles Sanders to be to be the one that carries the load. Um, again, I, I think the the skill positions are okay, and I do like the defensive line. I worry about the I, I worry a lot about the secondary. Um, I, I, they had, you know, Darius Slay. Yeah, you know. I, I, that said, if you look at the rest of this division. Um, I also anticipate a lot of parity in this division. I anticipate it not being very good, but I, I don't see Philadelphia getting blown out by any of the teams in this division. Um, you know, even you know Matt mentioned a couple other other teams. You know, I don't see them getting you know blown out by Atlanta. I, I think they're going to be in a lot of games. Um, I don't see. I don't think they're going to win. And keep in mind, it's a seventeen you know a seventeen game season, so. Me picking them for for you know eight wins is still eight and nine, you know. Um, I don't think they're going to be that good, but I think they're going to be in it until the end. So, yeah, I just think that that offensive line will be good for week one, but then after that, it's it's a crapshoot. And as soon as someone goes down there, it's last year all over again. So yeah, but, well, they do have Landon Dickerson now too. Um, there there may be a little bit of depth now. <laughs> Landon Dickerson has his own issues, but I think he was a good <laughs> yeah. pickup for them. Um, I believe in the second round. Um, I think if he comes back at you know full full health again, that's a massive if. But I think that you know they've got some. There's maybe a little bit more depth on that offensive line this year than there was last year. So I, I, is that worth a bunch of wins? I don't think so. But just wanted to point it out. I think that um, I agree with you about the Dickerson thing, but I think it's funny. Okay, well, how are we going to protect against our guard who tore his Achilles? Well, let's bring in a center who's coming back from an ACL tear. That's how we protect ourselves. Like, yikes. <laughs> well, that, that, that's indefensible. I, I don't have anything for that. <laughs> so we'll move on to the Cowboys, um, who finished last year 6-10, third place in the division. Um, Dak is back, looking good, apparently, after just completely destroying his ankle. Um, the Cowboys' offense then went from good to terrible. It was one of the most dynamic offenses early that um, was putting up tons of points on teams to one that was actively hurting them. So not to make this all about Dak, but made a buku bucks in the offseason, four years, $160 million. Um, and to fix the other side or try to fix the other side of the ball, the Cowboys uh, brought in Dan Quinn, um, disgraced Falcons coach, but great coordinator from C from Seattle uh, during their Legion of Boom days uh, to coordinate the defensive end for the Cowboys. So uh, thoughts uh, from everybody there. It was interesting. While I was doing some prep work for today's episode, you know, I just kind of wanted to see who else was, was making these predictions, like looking at some of the other outlets. And the overwhelming majority of places that I looked are predicting that Dallas is going to win this division. What? And the the it defies logic. Yes. I do what? not understand it. I, I just, I really can't. Um, and What's the logic? Did they give any logic or was it just, here's It's, it's almost pick. like, yeah, it's almost like, well, Dak is back. So they didn't, the only reason they didn't win the division last year was because Dak was hurt. And I was like, but they were like one in four when Dak was starting. Yeah. Like they were still not very good. 
and like the Giants were terrible last year, and and they were beating Dak in the game that he got hurt. Like they were they were beating the Cowboys. Um, so it's it's just a a really weird thing. I don't know if it's like a blind loyalty thing or or if people are are just devoid of logic. But there's no <laughs> chance. I mean, I'll just say this right: there's zero chance this team wins the division um, this year. I, there's no chance that's absolutely not going to happen. Um, but the the other the other part that people I think doubt, with with the exception of Philadelphia, because that's really such an unknown. This is the worst coached team. Not just in the division, it's one of the worst coached teams I've ever seen. I mean, I could sit there as a fan last year when they were on offense, and I could tell you what Mike McCarthy was going to run. And it was one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen. I've never seen this happen in the NFL, where a coach has, like, you know how for running backs you have, like, your goal line back, you have your third yeah. down back, you have your every down back, right? And, 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 those people are doing certain things every play. Like you're not bringing in your goal line back to run pass routes. Mike McCarthy, like assigned particular types of routes to his individual receivers. And it never varied during the entire season. Michael Gallup was always running deep, whether it was a deep post or, or a nine route. He ran like two routes the entire season. Mm-hmm. Um, Cooper always seemed like he was up the sideline. Always, Cooper was was up the sideline running like digs or, or I'm sorry, comebacks or outs or curls. Um, every once in a while, he'd get a dig, and CD Lamb always ran the short drag or the inner like the short little routes, the slants, the you know, quick outs, speed outs, whatever you want to call it, or caught the bubble screens. It was like clockwork. And their offense was one of the worst run offenses that I've ever seen. I think it was one of the reasons you saw Zeke take a step back. I mean, the offensive line clearly has taken a step back from from the dominant unit that they they once were. Um, and I know you didn't have Dak to pilot the ship, but if I if I was an opposing defensive coordinator, the Dallas Cowboys were one of the easiest groups to deal with, um, and. I, unless Mike McCarthy sat down the offseason and was like, I was awful last year and I need to figure out what I'm doing and take over play calling or, or you know, whatever it was. I mean, they were horrific in terms of the offensive coaching staff. Um, and when I look at the, the defensive side of the ball, I liked Micah Parsons. I thought that was a, a really good pick. I thought it was the right value pick, but I don't think Micah Parsons changes your defense in such a way where I, they've talked a little bit. There's some articles that came out about them wanting to leverage him as a pass rusher, which I think is smart, but that's not necessarily the primary function that he should be serving. He should be your Mike linebacker. The Mike linebacker can be impactful. He can be disruptive. He can rush the rush the passer. He can cover backs and tight ends on the backfield. That's all very good things that Michael Parsons brings to the table. Michael Parsons can't rush the passer on his own. Um, they need someone like Demarcus Lawrence to really step up. And outside of Demarcus Lawrence, they don't have a lot of folks along the defensive line that I think are are you know truly disruptive and can truly get pressure on the passer. Um, and Michael Parsons, they, they the lack of depth on the defensive line may not allow for Michael Parsons to make a lot of plays in the run game because there's guys that aren't eating up those double teams and and 
you know, when you have a defensive line that does that, lets the the linebackers run wild and they can make plays in the backfield. I don't see where Dallas can actually do that and, and really provide an avenue for Michael Parsons to be successful. Uh, and the secondary, they I think everyone had honed in on them taking Patrick Sertan or one of the corners uh, at, at pick 10. And when they weren't there, they had no other option but to trade back. And I don't see how that secondary got any better. So you've got a, a talented offense that's coached poorly, and you've got a defense that is supposed to be being coached better by Dan Quinn, but we've already talked about how terrible Atlanta was during his regime. And you didn't add a whole hell of a lot of talent at, again, the premier positions. You didn't add premier pass rushers. You didn't add um you know, hard bump and run man-to-man corners who can who can be effective. And you didn't add any high impact safeties like a Mika Fitzpatrick or anything like that. Not that they grow on trees, but you didn't you didn't you didn't make this better. Um, so to say that they're going to win the division just because Dak came back when they were already bad when Dak was starting. Although I, I will give Dak credit, like he played well he last year. He kept him in games pretty much by himself. <clears throat> There's no chance that he's going to be able to do that this year. Um, I don't see them winning more than five games. I think them and the Eagles are, are um, fighting for, for last place in the division. Uh, death choices, death or moves, I should say, in the offseason, uh, especially in the draft of the Cowboys, and pretty, um, they stayed, they didn't do too much in free agency either. I mean, Keanu Neal, who follows um, Dan Campbell everywhere he goes, added him. Um, but other than that, not not too wild uh, in free agency. Um, Bill, what's, uh, what's your opinion on these uh, Cowboys' coming season? You know, I... I, I think during the last podcast uh, we talked about, you know, Matt Ryan um, throwing for, you know, 19 gajillion yards because he had to. Um, I feel like that's, that's Dak, Dak Prescott for yeah. me. Um, I think this, I think this team is going to be a circus, um, you know, and, and they're going to, they're going to win some games. And I think it's going to be, you know, really entertaining to watch, watch them, you know, play. I mean, they've got some great talent at wide receiver and, um, you know, Zeke is, is still very good. Um, I am a little concerned about the offensive line aging. You know, Tyron Smith has been one of the best in the business for the past decade, but he's getting a little bit older. Uh, he's had some back issues, some knee issues. Um, I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge uh, for them to regain that sort of best, clearly best offensive line in football form that they had a couple of years ago. Travis Frederick's gone. Zach Martin's getting older. Um, it, it's just not, it's not nearly as intimidating of an offensive line as it had been. I think, I think Dak, that being said though, is worth a couple wins um, over what they had last year. Um, you know, and it's crazy. You even go back and look at the stats and they, and, and now granted they lost, um, these basically the, the, the four games that he played, um, not including the one that he got hurt in the, the giants game. Um, but the man threw for nine touchdowns in four games, uh, four interceptions. Uh, he, he threw, uh, 502, 472, 450 and 266 were his yardage totals. Um, he's going to sling it all over the field. I mean, he's going to be a great fantasy quarterback. And as his owner um, last provided, year, I think he had three rushing touchdowns in the game too. Yeah, yeah, he did against the uh, against the Falcons. Um, I would love to see what the oh my god the fantasy point totals on that one. Anyway, <laughs> it was a good week. I digress. Um, but I think that the, the I don't want to say the nice part, but 
the good thing about you know the injury that he sustained typically when you break a bone or something like that it's a lot easier and i understand he really broke it but um it's a lot uh, i think cleaner of a recovery um, versus somebody who has an achilles injury for example something like that so i'm not worried about him from a health perspective any more than i would be any other quarterback in the league um i think that i think the offense continues to be good um if not as good as maybe people think they will be, but I do think Dak throws for a gajillion yards. Um, on the wide receiver front, I think C.D. Lamb is is probably their best wide receiver. Um, I think he's extremely talented. Um, I think they've got an embarrassment of riches out there. The one comment I will make is I think they, they needed more from Michael Gallup last year, and he was not able to provide that. Um, and Amari Cooper um, is frustrating to watch. Yes. Just because you watch him and he's he's like perpetually like I'm pretty sure he was he was born with a questionable you know tag <laughs> next to his name like he's always questionable he's always got a soft tissue injury and when you when you watch him play it's like he's walking if he's not throw if he if he knows he's not getting the ball thrown to him and you know then he comes up and his body language is just like oh he's he's hurt and he's like struggling back but it's constant like that and it just it it drives me nuts um and that's it i mean i think he's still a good receiver but i think he's maybe a little bit more overrated i think cd lamb's the best receiver on his team uh defensively i think it's a nightmare um i mean it's it's just it's just bad you know and and i think micah parsons is is a great player to add but they have so many holes that you know it's great that they've got another middle linebacker um but you know it also speaks volumes about what they think about their former high round picks Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh that number one they brought in Parsons and they're also they also brought in Jabril Cox and Keanu Neal um so that tells me that these these guys are on the chopping block and you know unfortunately that that's a testament to the fact that they've failed in in drafting um you know linebackers uh, for this unit um the the secondary remains a mess um i do think that that dan quinn is a good defensive coordinator i think he'll get the most out of what he has but unfortunately what he has is just not much um i think this team's going to be better i don't i don't think i actually see them in a similar mold to the eagles where they're they're in the conversation till the end um and I actually have have them. Um, I, I think they've got an outside chance of making the playoffs. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pick them for nine wins um, because I think Dak Prescott willed them there. Um, I don't think they win the division, but I've I've got them um, I've got them picked for second in the division. So my win total that I have isn't far off from yours, Bill. But I think I'm with Matt. I think there's no chance this team makes the playoffs. Um, I think that this year you're going to see a lot of games. It's going to be a, they're going to be exciting to watch. Like those Fox games when they're playing at 4:15 are going to be awesome because it's going to be a it's going to be last year those first four or five games that um, that uh, Dak played across the whole season if he stays healthy. Like it's going to be him needing to throw and run for everything he can do until the final you know minute of the game in order to get them to win. Um, and it's going to be exciting as hell. Um, offensively, I'll start, you know, kind of where their strengths are at. 
they may have the best skill position group in the NFL if Zeke can be Zeke again. But, I mean, they have talent and depth. I mean, even last year, Noah Brown and Cedric Wilson – you know, had some had some great games as their fourth and fifth receiver, and Tony Pollard's looked good as their second running back. Um, CD or uh, CD Lamb, I think, is their best um, wide receiver. But I won't belabor the Amari Cooper point. But you are a hundred percent dead on. The issue with this offense, though, is that offensive line, and I think it's very similar to the Eagles in the regard that you see a lot of names. Um, but this isn't the 2016 offensive line that ran. You know that Demarco Murray just ran roughshod over everyone with. Um, this is a much older line. This is one that isn't as skilled, that has more injury um, potential, and any any loss of uh, Lyle Collins, Zach Martin, or Tyron Smith, which is I feel like bound to happen. I hope it doesn't. You know that's going to significantly impact that offense and put it back. So that's where the issues are at on the offense. And that's a big area of issues um there the defense switching over the defense i think it is probably the worst defensive line in football um the linebacker court feels like they're just like hey let's just get as many guys that we think can play as possible and one of them or two of them are going to shake out and maybe that's the thought process Dan Quinn has is that i'm going to have to scheme up ways to get pressure and i just need as many guys that can kind of do a little bit of everything as possible um the secondary is still bad still below average but i think this could become a strength quickly uh trevon diggs had a pretty good rookie season i liked kelvin joseph their second round draft pick this year i I believe it's out of kentucky um i think he i think he could be good quickly and if they go into next year with kelvin joseph you know playing as well as trevon diggs did this past year, Diggs take another step forward. They get so they acquire like a run of the mill safety. You know that's a then that that might be looking like a team strength at that point. But as of right now, I think it's too. Um, I think it's too far off. So I think that I think that you're going to see a lot of games like last year, um, where it's just a straight shootout. It's going to be wild to see, and I don't think they win more than eight games. I have them for eight games. Dak, I think it makes a difference. Uh, a two-game difference between last year and this year, but they're, I don't think they sniff uh, the playoffs. So I have them for eight and nine season, and those I'm surprised that people have, are taking them to win that division because I don't know how you can look at this roster and, and, and think like that. So you were both, what, eight wins and I was at five? Yeah, yeah, pretty big discrepancy. I had, I had them at nine. Oh, you did? Okay. Oh, you were at nine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. When I look at their schedule, like – there's very much like the Eagles where I see games that are just washes where it's like, it it could go either way in my opinion. And like, you look at pretty much every game in their division with the exception of spoiler alert, I'm going to pick Washington to win the division. I think Washington's going to beat them both times. I think maybe they split with the giants, probably split with the Eagles. Um, But when I look at the remaining pieces on their schedule, there's a lot of games I look at them like they're definitely going to lose. Like they play Tampa Bay, they play the Chargers, they play the Chiefs, um, they play the Patriots, they play Minnesota and Arizona. I think those games are all losses. Um, And then I look at like they've got another another bout. Oh, they play Carolina as well. They're going to lose to Carolina. Um, Then I look at they've got games against Denver, Atlanta. Um, Those games are washes to me. I think it can go, go either way. Um, 
and like I mentioned, uh, and a game against the Las Vegas Raiders, which is, I think, fortunately in Dallas. I think Dallas can win that game, but that one could be a wash as well. Um, so I just I don't see a route for them to get to eight or nine wins. Um, so from, yeah, from eight wins, from my perspective, it's that there's a lot of games where I think it could go either way, like you said, Matt. And in those games, in this this version of the NFL, I'm gonna lean with a team that I think has a more elite quarterback um, or at least a very a very good one and that's why I, th- I got them to eight and I think that's their cap though I don't think they there's any way they um, they beat that because yeah a lot of their schedule is really brutal and they're gonna have to win a lot of those 50 50 games to get the eight but mm-hmm. I think I yeah. think Dak makes a difference in those in those games that's a lot of the rationale for why I had them at nine. The other thing that I'll that I'll mention is my outlook for this division is that it's still going to be the worst division in football. It's going to be fun to watch. I'm not saying it 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 won't be entertaining, um, but I don't I don't really see you know any team running away with this division. I think they're all going to beat up on each other and grab a couple wins that way. Um, and and I I honestly I don't see this Cowboys team. Yeah, they always have like one or two games a year where they just get blown out of the stadium but Dak's going to keep them in games um I, I got to be honest though if it wasn't for Mike McCarthy I may have this team with one or two more wins um but but McCarthy is just and I, I hate to pile on to a guy from Pittsburgh but man he's just been bad I mean there's no other way to to describe it and you know uh you know I remember sitting watching watching a couple Cowboys games with Matt and he would be able to call out the route that Michael Gallup was going to run and it was right like nine out of ten times well so even, not even the route I could call the play yeah um like if you if you play Madden or NCAA football 14 for maybe yeah. our demographic um, <laughs> for bill at least four four yeah. verticals no well no it, w- it wasn't even that it was stick it, and that's what <laughs> yeah. i talk about like love stick that's a it, great play it, it was literally cd lamb running the stick route he was running the the um the option route which is kind of like a little hitch on it from the slot you had some yokel uh cedric wilson or whatever doing the speed out as the other slot receiver michael gallup was going deep and Amari Cooper was the other side by himself running a slant. And, and, and Mike McCarthy called that play. I, I don't remember the specific game we were watching. It might have been, it was either Seattle or it was the New York Giants. It was one of the games. No, Seattle was away. It was at home. Um, it was like the New York Giants. And Mike McCarthy called that play probably seven times in the course of like three or four drives. And every drive, you could you could see that the Giants, who weren't a... a a wildly good defense could just, they just knew what was coming every single time. So the entire year that Mike McCarthy took off to learn football again, or to visit football people was just him playing Madden on loop for an entire season. That's what I'm going to say. He was playing Madden on rookie with a Dallas, (laughs) with a Dallas roster. And he just kept throwing to the same guy. And he's like, well, this play works every time. That's what it was in real life. Yeah. Either that, or I'll know if he uh, took some time off to play NCAA 14, if he runs four verticals or halfback angle. Like, if all of a sudden Ezekiel Elliott catches 500 balls this year, he, he figured out halfback angle. That was the thing. So any final thoughts on the Cowboys before we move on to the New York football Giants? I feel good about the quarterback. I feel good about the receivers. The defense is still terrible, and I think they're going to be at a lot of shootouts. Bad coach, bad defense. 
Not a good mix. It's Bad be, offensive line. It's going to be a lot of last year. It's going to be fun, but it's not going to be fun if you're a Cowboys fan. Um, so moving on to the moving up in the East, we have the New York Giants who lost their first five games of the year. Uh, Barkley went down uh, early. Uh, Danny Jones, Danny Dimes didn't look like he got much better. And the only time they really didn't look like a mess was when they were playing another um, NFC East team. So they're entering into 2021 make or break year for everyone. I think particularly Danny Danny Jones, maybe Dave Gettleman um, as well. So this was the first year that uh, Joe Judge, um, you know, uh, completed as a professional head coach. Thoughts on Joe Judge and where do you think this team goes this year? I thought at least Joe Judge brought a little bit of an edge to what was a pretty soft franchise for quite some time. Um, that defense was, I think, a little bit underrated last year, and I thought I thought a lot of that had to do with um, with Joe's coaching, um, sort of the the. Uh, inspirational or motivational leader. I mean, this team really at the beginning of the season as a whole looked really bad. Um, and I think you, I think Joe found a way to tap into specifically the offensive and defensive lines, which I don't think were overly talented units. Um, but if you go back and you look at that, you know, week one Monday night game where I think Saquon Barkley ran for negative six yards or something yep. ridiculous like that. Um, and, and their defense was pretty porous um, and got you know beaten up quite a bit by, and we all found out that Pittsburgh's passing game wasn't that great last year. Um, and then you can contrast that against you know what they the units they put out later in the season. Um, I thought the transformation that that team went through had a lot to do with Joe Judge uh, and his ability to keep that group motivated keep them in games uh and they were really i mean at the end of the day they were in play to win that division uh going into the last week of the season and if you would have you know again contrast that against like week one or the first four weeks of the season you would have never expected this team to be anywhere close to to six wins or seven wins they were they were cellar dwellers in in my opinion um and i think that was a lot of joe judge just kind of willing them uh to be better Bill, over to you. Yeah, I, I, I won't belabor the point. I, I agree with a lot of what Matt said in terms of adding an edge uh, to, to the team. Um, I, this team, okay, I have to go on a little bit of a diatribe here. <laughs> okay. Um, I cannot for the life of me understand the Kadarius Tony pick. Yeah. I know we <laughs> talked about it a little bit. Um, but I look at this roster and like there, there's there's talent here. Um, you know, I do like Daniel Jones. I think he's he's taken a, a while to develop, but I think he can play. I really do. Um, that said, there are a couple pieces away, especially on the offensive line. Um, you know, the Andrew Thomas pick doesn't look great right now based on his performance from last year. Even a guy like Will Hernandez, who they drafted, I think with. A really high second round pick a couple years back. He's he's a he's you know uh, listed as a backup right now. Um, you know I I think that they really could have used another piece on the offensive line uh, or another defensive starter or whatever. But instead, you know, 
they they trade back and they and they draft Kadarius Tony when you had just signed Kenny Galladay. You had a um, you had a gem that you found in Darius Slayton, and you had Sterling Shepard, who is still a solid slot guy. Why on earth would you would you draft Kadarius Tony when you had all these other needs? Uh, it just didn't make any sense to me at all. Um, but that said, I I do. I do like what they did with the with the second round pick with uh, Aziz Aziz Ojolari. Um, I thought that was a really nice value selection. I think they've got, I think they've got the makings of a fairly strong defense. I would I would argue that it it may end up being the best defense in this division, um, just because of the depth, especially on the back end. I think that what's that's what you know separates them from from the Eagles and. Maybe to a lesser extent, uh, the the Washington football team. Um, but there's there's talent on this on this defense. The real question is going to be: Can Daniel Jones take that next step and be that that guy that starts picking defenses apart? Um, I think Saquon Barkley can only do what he what he can do in in terms of you know what what the offensive line is going to block for him. Um, I never and just like you guys, I I do not advise taking a running back this early, um, but. But Saquon Barkley needs to prove that he's the guy um, because he's shown flashes and he's he's played okay. Um, but he needs he and Daniel Jones need to carry this team if they if they have any chance of of well if they have any chance of returning uh, to this team next year. So um, all that said, I think that this is another team within this division, just like all the other teams, that can play and beat anybody in this division. I actually have them um, at at eight wins, just like I have the Eagles. Um, I think this entire division is contested until the last few weeks of the season. Um, I don't think any of these teams are running away with it, um, but I, I do I do think that the upside for this team, if three things happen, if the defense is markedly better, if the offensive line can can get its can, can get itself together. And if Daniel Jones could take the next, next step, I think this is probably the team with the most upside of, of this division, but I've, I've got them at eight wins. I hard disagree with the, uh, the upside, uh, mention that you had there, but I think the football team does. Um, but I do agree with your take on Kadarius Tony pick. Is there is there anyone? I've just wrote down a, a couple names of players that the Giants could have taken, and not to belabor this, but and you tell me if there's anyone that you'd rather take Tony over, uh, Quiddy Pay, Caleb Farley, Christian Darrisaw, Jason, formerly known as Jason Owa, um, uh, the uh, Eric Stokes from Georgia, the cornerback the Packers took Christian Barrymore. Uh, Tyson Campbell, Asante Samuel Jr. Any one of those guys you would rather that you'd rather take Tony over? None. Not for the Giants. Yeah. No, not I, for the Giants. I feel like this was like peak Gettleman. Like this Gettleman this offseason was peak Gettleman. He made some good moves and he also made some boneheaded moves. One of which being Tony. Uh, I think the contracts given out to Dory Jackson, John Ross of all people, and Devontae Booker were head scratching but i also think the aziz adjulari pick was very good like you mentioned bill i think bringing kyle rudolph in wasn't a bad move for that team um and then kenny galladay for what they got him for the cap space they had and they want to get the most out of 
Daniel Jones. I think that's a. I think that's a fine. I think it's a fine investment uh, for them. But I think that the the issue with Danny Jones, I think it keeps them from like in those fifty fifty games against the Cowboys this upcoming year. I think they lose those because you know how many times are we going to watch Danny Jones turn it over. You know, twenty. You know, throw twenty picks and then have twenty fumbles. After a while, that's just who he is, and he's not going to get any better. Um, but they'll be able to evaluate him this year. I mean, there's no excuses. You're going to have to hope that offensive line gets a little better. I mean, there's a ton of potential in that offensive line. They just need to actually play uh, well. Um, I think also Aaron Robinson was a nice pick, not to jump from offensive defense, but I think Aaron Robinson was a nice pick uh, in their secondary. There is some talent on that secondary, um, but it just, to me, it feels like a fit of just like a bunch of, we talked in, in previous episodes about the Cardinals being like an island of misfit toys um, where they just picked players and shoved them in places and hoped it worked. Hoped it worked. I feel like that this defense is kind of, of like that, the secondary at least. Um, um, for them, I think the you know, they're going to have to hope that the linebackers that were have been so heavily invested on the last few years pan out. Um, the defensive line is okay, um, but I uh, I don't think I don't like this team for more than six wins this season. And I think in a lot of those fifty fifty games, uh, they're you know they're going to lose like you know even to the Eagles because I think Hurts might be better than Danny Jones at this point in his career. Um so I just think that that offense is still going to sputter and they're going to, you know, finish with 6. Yeah, it's interesting. I think I think the formula for the the New York Giants is is probably the formula that a lot of people would say, you know, is how you have to win. Um especially when you have a young quarterback. Uh, but I think it's the same strategy that like when we look at the Browns uh, with Baker, they, they employed a strategy of let's run the football effectively. Let's play good defense. Um, let's build around really the offensive line as our centerpiece. Um, I think this is the type of approach that New York needs to undertake um, in order to ensure Daniel Jones is going to be successful. Uh, and I think they've got some really good pieces on the defensive side, Dexter Lawrence, Danny Shelton, Leonard Williams really showed out for them after the trade. Um, Reggie Ragland and Blake Martinez, I think, are solid you know, inside linebackers. We already talked about uh, Aziz Ajilari being a really good pickup for them. Um, you know, The corners do have some decent talent there. Uh, you have Logan Ryan and Jabril Preppers at safety. You know, Not a bad group. Um, but the big thing is going to come down to, can you run the football and put those receivers... Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, can you put them into situations where they have the advantage? Can you force a safety to come into the box to have to deal with Saquon Barkley? And if that offensive line that performed better as the year went on, I talked about that with sort of my assessment of Joe Judge, but that that offensive line unit is the linchpin for the New York Giants. If that line does not perform, and there's... You know, a little bit of a 50-50 lottery shot when it comes to this one because Nate Solder's a year older. Um, and then, you know, some of these other guys along the line played well last year, but will they play well again this year? Uh, they're not sort of consistent household name types of folks. Um, and if you can bring that safety into the box by being effective with Saquon Barkley in the running game, then you get more one-on-one coverage for Kenny Galladay, more one-on-one coverage 
um, for Slayton and Shepard. And, and maybe that, you know, you bring Kadarius Tony into the fold at some point in time um, where he can start to, to, you know, take advantage of one-on-one coverage. That was the thing that, that Zach and I talked about in episode two when we looked at the receivers. Like, you put Kadarius Tony in one-on-one, the dude is, like, crazy hard to cover. Mm-hmm. But can the Giants put it in a situation where he actually has to face man coverage and he can really take advantage of that? Because otherwise... You know, if I want to stop the run, most of the time I'm sitting back in a base defense, letting my my linebackers assess the play and and react accordingly. If Kadarius Tony has to face that, he's just going to keep running and utilizing all that speed to get recovered into zones. Um, and I didn't see him as the most cerebral route runner because he doesn't really have to be, right? Can he read the defense? Can he can he figure out what spot he needs to be in? Um, that remains to be seen about someone like Kadarius Tony. Um, so really, this offensive line is going to determine whether or not the Giants, you know, make or break this year. Um, I think it's an average unit, so I see them as an average team. Eight wins. Do you? Um... It's it's interesting you brought up the offensive line played better. Do you all remember that blow up that they had as a coaching staff? I think Joe Judge, I think he retained their old offensive line coach, and then halfway through the season he brought another guy on that he liked as an advisor. And the first guy, I can't remember the names here. I'm blanking on names. He flipped shit and I think tried to fight Joe Judge or the other guy. And then after that though, the offensive line played pretty well. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I think that's just typical, like football locker room I mean, a lot of a lot of testosterone being thrown around absolutely yeah. but i think to matt's point though i think maybe there's a reason they got better in the second half they may have gotten actually better coaching and this year you might be able to expect a little bit more out of them yeah. um, and that's that's one of the positions on the staff that i think goes underestimated for a lot of teams like if you look at you know for example i'm just familiar with the pittsburgh steelers so like they had mike munchak mm-hmm. and he was he turned them into a top tier unit um, around 2016, 17, 18. Then he left, um, and look at what that that unit has turned into. I think yeah. offensive you know, line. So there's that that coaching position is maybe maybe the third or fourth most important coaching position on the team. I think. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'd agree with you. Yeah. Um, so what what are our what are our final win totals for this this crop? I have them at six. Six. Cause, okay. Because. Gettleman couldn't help himself and just had to make some boneheaded choices. Uh, yeah. You had eight, or Bill? Yep. I had six, and then you had eight too, right, Matt? Yep, I'm on eight as well. Okay, so I have them finishing third, and then what do you got? Is that third for you all too? Second, Second. for me. okay. Uh, third, no, actually fourth. So I, right now I have the Eagles and the Giants tied at, at uh, eight wins. I think that New York ends up in last place by dent of tiebreaker. Okay. I've right now I've got um right now I've got them at the, in, in last place and the Eagles at third place and the Cowboys at two. So uh, do we see a do we have a Mike Glennon spotting this year? I know we talked about having a Joe Flacco spotting earlier. Do we have a Mike Glennon? If it is, it's a bad year for them. But barring injury, I don't see it. <laughs> um, yeah. I think they need to figure out. If they have if they have something in Daniel Jones or not, um, I don't see any upside. I mean, it's not like it's a young quarterback that you're trying to get experience. It's Mike Glennon. I mean, yeah. he's a known quantity. I mean, yeah. I'm not. It's not, nothing against Mike Glennon, but like, it's not like oh, we need to get Mike more experience. Like, my, my man had a shot. I the mean, the Bears invested a lot in him that one off season. 
Yeah, so it, and it's not like he's he's having a bad life. I mean, I'm sure he's cashing those Absolutely. checks and just live, living it up. Um, Didn't the Bears like invest in him and then draft Trubisky uh, yes. like the same yep. year? Yep, and then yep. yeah, yep. that's exactly what they did. Yep. Um, that's a story for a different time. But uh, so we'll move to the Washington football team, who went from the Redskins to the football team last year. Big change. Um, Ron Rivera beating cancer, changing the culture uh, in Washington. Um, and they finished the season strong after they started 1-5, and five, and they finally ditched uh, Dwayne Haskins and said, hey, we're going to stick with Alex Smith. The season turned around. Um, they ended up using four different quarterbacks, including uh, Heineke. Uh, in, I think that's how you pronounce it, Heineke. In Hinky. The, Hinky. Hinky in the wild card game. Uh, they put a fight up against the Bucks. And this is a team that I personally believe sleepwalks the division win, but I'm curious to get your guys' take first um, on this. So when you – and I think you compared Ryan Fitzpatrick to a microwave yes. Um, yeah. in the last in the last uh, podcast up. we did, or second or last podcast we did or something. Um, I'm going to take that a step further. Okay. Ryan Fitzpatrick is, is a microwave, but he's a microwave that you buy out of uh, somebody's <laughs> van in the parking lot at, at Arby's or something. The Arby's, like, wow. Yeah, Arby's. I'm on the Arby franchise. Yeah, I, I don't know. But but – He's he's going to heat up. He's going to have some amazing games, and then he's going to do what Ryan Fitzpatrick has been doing since, I don't know, 1984 or whenever the <laughs> hell he's, he came into the league. And he's just going to start playing bad. Because, listen, I am, I am an unapologetic, massive Ryan Fitzpatrick fan because he's fun. You know, he just adds a different element to the game. But there's a reason he's been on, you know, every team in the league, right? You know, because... He, He's useful for us for for a period of time, and then he you know he just disappears because it's just I don't know it, it must be some sort of like I don't know why he is the way that he is and he can't play well for more than like four games. Um, that said, I did like what I saw from Taylor Hinkie last year. Um, I would not be surprised at all if by the end of the season we're not talking about him as the as the starter um, going forward for, for this team. He really impressed me, even the, even in the playoff game. I mean, I thought, I thought he played extremely well. Um, the rest of this roster uh, on the offensive side of the ball, uh, I love some of the additions that they, that they made. Curtis Samuel, even Adam Humphreys, too, I think is a, is a good slot guy. Um, I think Terry McLaurin is probably a top five wide receiver in this league. Um, and I, I say that without batting an eyelash. I mean, I think he can play. Um, I think he can. He, I think he can play with any corner. I think he is um, really a, a, a great route runner. He's got the speed. He's got the hands. Um, and I think he's really going to take it to the next level with with Fitz, Fitzpatrick and Henke at the helm. Um, the other, and because I have to give some some tight end love. Um, of course. The, the one example of a project going right uh, is Logan Thomas, who used to be the quarterback at Virginia Tech a couple years ago. They switched him to tight end, and, I mean, it's been four or five years, and he's one of the better tight ends, uh, especially receiving tight ends in, in the league. Um, there's a lot to like about this offense. You know, the offensive line, I think, is good. They've got some... They've got some name recognition. Uh, Brandon Scherf is really good. Uh, they drafted Samuel Cosme, who I I view as a project. I do think he, you know, it makes more of an impact in the coming years. Maybe not this year. Excuse me. Um, I think that 
the defense is good in spots and concerning in spots. Uh, I look at the defensive line, uh, Chase Young, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat. I think that they're set there. Um, I am a little worried about the linebackers, though. Um, yeah, I know they drafted Jamin Davis. Um, I wasn't crazy about him, uh, especially as a first-round pick. I thought that was kind of a reach. Um, they have John Bostic as well. John Bostic, uh, he's kind of like the Ryan Fitzpatrick of linebackers. <laughs> you know, he's he just sort of he can play, but like he's not super good. But you know, he could you can you know get by with him in a pinch. Um, you know, Landon Collins, I think, has taken a step back, but I think he can still play. Kendall Fuller, uh, William Jackson, I think, was a good was a good addition to to the unit. Um, I see this team again as being. I think this team wins the division. I don't think they run away with the division like you think, Zach. Um, but I I see this team as as probably I'd call it ten wins um, again in it to the end. Um, but I, I think they may be able to make some noise. I think it depends on, on the quarterbacks as to how far this team can go, but um, don't sleep on Taylor Henke um, being, being the guy after a couple of weeks and, and, and taking them further than, than people think. Matt, do you, uh, who do you, you fall in the middle between me and Bill or closer to one of us in your outlook? I'm closer to you, Zach. I think I think they're going to run away with this division. Um, and by run away, like they're going to be two wins better than the Giants. So <laughs> I've got them at ten. Um, I had the Giants at eight. But you know, talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick, the 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 hallmark of Ryan Fitzpatrick throughout throughout the the course of his career is Ryan Fitzpatrick beats bad teams and Ryan Fitzpatrick loses to good teams. They just happen to be in in a division with three, you know, with as they call the Giants mediocre. Um, but with some pretty bad teams. So I, you know, I kind of look at it as, you know, Washington is going to, they're going to ride their run game. I think, you know, Antonio Gibson was, was a breakout star. Um, JD McKissick was someone who, you know, really had a resurgence last year. Um, so they're, they're going to the ride their run game uh, behind a pretty good offensive line. They've got enough playmakers to be dangerous and, and Fitzpatrick is competent enough to distribute the football effectively. The defense is, you know, I love the defensive line, Montez sweat, chase young um, bookending that defensive line, uh, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne, um, you know, making paying dividends for Dan Snyder's, Alabama fetish, um, you know, I I like the secondary. Kendall Fuller, Landon Collins, uh, William Jackson coming in, I thought was a, a really great signing for them. Um, someone who's going to be you know really a consistent playmaker for them. Um, yeah, the linebacker core is a little bit meh, um, but to be honest with you, I would have rather seen them do some different things. Aside from Jamin Davis, uh, that was one of the picks that I wasn't overly fond of when you go back and look at our, our draft recaps. Um, and the reason I'm not quite as fond is I would have gone a different a different direction. Um, but I think they are still missing uh, another dynamic playmaker out of their wide receivers crop. And I understand they, they brought in Curtis Samuel, which was a signing that I really liked. Uh, obviously, love Terry McLaurin. He's proven that he can, listen, the dude can be productive with Dwayne Haskins. 
and Taylor Henke. He can be productive with pretty much anybody. Um, but Curtis Samuel is a little bit of a gadgety guy, a little bit of a slot guy. I don't see him as like a true number two, like an X or Z outside wide receiver. Um, I still think he's going to be effective. I still think he can make a ton of plays for that that offense. But I would have rather seen them go with someone like Terrence Marshall, who I think all three of us were really high on going into the draft. Um, I would have rather seen them grab uh, you know, one of those playmakers or I thought this could have been a good spot to you know, maybe try to sign Kenny Galladay or uh, just to you know, maybe even try to trade for Julio Jones. You know, I, I look at that, that passing game and I really want to see somebody else emerge opposite of Terry McLaurin as a true number two. Um, now, there's still some people on that roster that I think can do it. Um, I think Steven Stims Jr. had a couple breakout games. Um, they've got Kelvin Harmon on the roster, who was someone who came out of NC State not too long ago. I think he was playing in Denver, uh, and he was probably just you know a casualty of Denver's depth at wide receiver. Um, so I thought he was a good pickup for for Washington uh, as someone who may be able to step into that into that true number two role. Um, and they also drafted Dynami Brown out of UNC, who I was relatively high on uh, coming out of the draft. As a uh, him and Daz Newsom were two of the wide receivers that uh, Daz Newsom ended up with Chicago. But I thought you know both UNC wide receivers uh, were pretty explosive guys that I thought could be you know high impact but late round. Uh, draft picks so you know there's some guys on the roster but i'd like to see one of them emerge um, really to solidify this team Um, but outside of the linebacking core uh, and maybe that wide receiver number two i don't see a ton of weaknesses on this roster Um, and even if fitzpatrick isn't fitzmagic and he turns into fitztragic i think that defense is good enough um, to make up for any of those mistakes. And, and there may be games where, you know, Fitz throws three picks, but the defense took, you know, got four takeaways, um, probably from the Eagles. And, and you know, he's <laughs> that defense is going to keep them in every game. And, you know, Fitzpatrick is going to be competent enough, enough, even if he has a bad game, you know, when the chips are down and it's a two-minute drill and, and they need him to really step up and, and make a play. Um, I think he's going to be able to do that. So I think I think this is a, a playoff team. I think this is a, a probably ten and seven team, and you know I don't know how far they'll go in the playoffs, but but they're going to make it. They're they're the clear runaway for me in this division. And I echo your thoughts about the roster, Matt. This team is ready to go. Um, this this the car has been started, and they just need a driver at this point. And I'm I'm a little disappointed they they ended with Fitzpatrick as their quarterback um, that they're going to go into the season with. That being said, I feel like maybe something happened with him last year. He didn't really have too many Fitz tragic moments. I think that the whole situation with um, Tua maybe left him in a better position where he feels a little bit more comfortable in his playing ability because you're right. He beats the bad teams. He loses the good teams. And a lot of that stems from if he makes a mistake, he feels like he has to throw the touchdown pass that's worth 21 points. And it's like, that doesn't happen. And I think something last year happened to him where he's a little bit more comfortable playing and doesn't make the, I mean, he still makes the dumb decision occasionally, but all quarterbacks do. But I feel like he is in the right spot in his career to guide this team um, and really drive that car. I think that um, 
I, I, I have a couple takes. I don't know if they're too hot or spicy, but I think they, they could be. The defensive line, and one name that's been left out so far is Matt Ioannidis as well. That defensive line is five deep with just excellent players. I think that that defensive line could be the best position group in all of football um, with Sweat, Allen, Payne, and Young, and then Ioannidis coming in too. Uh, five deep of great players. And I think that the receivers could actually challenge for a top five position grouping like next year. If one of my biggest mistakes of the pre-draft process was keeping Deami Brown off of my top 10, you know, looking at him play, it's like, how did I not include this fucking guy? But, you know, we all make mistakes, and I think that was one of them. I think he ended up in a good spot where if Curtis Samuel plays like he did last year, I think he's a little bit less gadgety than you think, Matt. Um, that's just difference of opinion. Um you have Terry McLaurin, who is going to you know, be maybe one of the top five receivers in football this year. And then you have Deami Brown. If he plays to what his ceiling is, I think this could. you could also look at the receivers and say, hey, this is a top group uh, position group in the NFL. And then I think you're going to see improvements of Antonio Gibson this year. Um, how much so, I don't know. The offensive line is good enough. I like, you know, I've shortchanged them when talking about their draft. I mean, I really like what they did. Deami Brown, Samuel uh, Cosme, Jamin Davis. Um, Benjamin St. Just, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. But um, William Jackson signing was great. I have fallen more and more in love with this roster the more I look at it. And I think that regardless of quarterback, they can get to 10 wins. I think that they ultimately end up at around 11. Um, and I just, I just can't get enough of that defensive line. And I think that receiving core is going to be the best core that P Fitzpatrick has had. And I think he's going to look pretty competent um, because of that. So that's, uh, that's my take. There's a couple more things on here I have, but I won't bore anyone to death. Um, but that's, that's why I think that they, that any other division, they would, it would be a tough division win. But in here, compared to the other teams we looked at and the other rosters, you compare this, this, this Washington football team roster to the Cowboys, the Giants, the Eagles. There's just almost no comparison between them because this is so much better than the other ones, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'll agree with you. And you know, one of the things that that I've I wanted to to broach the subject, I guess, during this this conversation is I, we all have Washington winning the division. Where do you see them stand in the NFC? Are they the fourth best team? What's what you know? If you had to rank them amongst you know the counterparts, where where they land? That's a good question. I don't know. Let me bring up the teams here. Let me see where I'd rank them. So when you mean when you mean ranking and just in terms of regardless of division, what where would, would you rank them in the entire you, NFC? Yeah, yeah. Regardless of division, like don't rank them like you would seed them in the playoffs. Rank them okay, like power. Okay. Right? Like who who's who's you know the best and you know obviously we probably got Tampa Bay at number one, and then just go from there. Uh, I I go. Probably four or five. Uh, this is this is. Yeah. I thought I still think this is a mediocre division. Um, I I still think whoever comes out of the the NFC West is going to be better than than Washington. I think obviously Tampa Bay is depending on that that second team in the South, whether that be the the Panthers or the Saints. I think that's probably better than Washington as well. Um, Obviously, the North is weird because you know if Aaron Rodgers comes back, I, if it was Washington and 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 Green Bay in in a uh, in a potential playoff game, I would pick Green Bay. Um, I see them at probably four. Is is my bet? 
Yeah. Yeah, not to go through every team here, but that's what I'm going to do. Cardinals, not as good. Falcons, not as good. Panthers, nah, same idea of how they were built. Push. Probably not as good. Yeah, push. Bears, no. Lions, no. Cowboys, no. Packers, if Aaron Rodgers is there, yes. If not, no. Rams, yes. Vikings, no. Saints, probably not. Giants, no. Eagles, no. 49ers, nah. Push, depending on how the quarterback plays. Yeah. Seahawks, yeah, probably better. Bucks, better. So, I mean, I think they're. They're four or five. I mean, potentially you could make yeah. a case for even three, maybe, um, yeah. depending on if Rodgers comes back. But I just, I, I really, I've not talked enough about this team in the offseason and actually sitting down and, and doing some research previously. I feel like I did them a disservice in all the episodes so far. I mean, they, yeah, this roster's great. I think they made great moves this offseason. Um, yeah, sleepwalk to the division. Not to say yeah. for a fifth time this episode, but I really do think that they're so far ahead of the others in this division. So yeah. my, my outlook is a little bit different than than your guys's in that I see a lot of parity in the division. I think Matt Matt uh, and I have the same win total for Washington, but he has a lot lower win totals for the rest of the of the group, um, meaning the the NFC East. Um, I think that this this entire division basically tacks on you know a handful more wins. Um, by dint of they couldn't be a lot worse than they were last year. Yeah. You know, the, the, one of the big themes that I've noticed with almost every team that we've talked about, almost just besides Washington, is all of the hurt guys coming back. You know, you look at Philly and all the hurt guys on there in the offensive line and the and the defense. You look at uh, uh, the the um, Dallas with with uh, Dak Prescott coming back and some of the offensive linemen. You look at the Giants with Saquon Barkley coming back. I mean, this is a division of of injury returns. So um, you know, I that's why I tack on a lot of wins to the the teams that aren't Washington. And that's how I kind of come up with uh, there's going to be parity here. I think the the teams that aren't Washington are going to win a couple more games. I still think, though, that, that Washington has the best overall roster, and I still think they win. But I think, uh, again, that this is going to be um, a hotly contested division. Yeah, I don't know. I think from, from my standpoint, like when I go and look at how does Washington compare to the rest of the NFC – I mean, it's the same boat as you guys. It's got to be. It's got to be four or five, and I would say if I, you know, if I had to rank them, I think it's it's Tampa at the top. I think the Rams and Seahawks are in there. Um, I would put Green Bay in there with Aaron Rodgers, but without him, there's no chance that they're even close to Washington. Um, and then you're looking at teams like San Francisco and Carolina, um, and I think you know, I have a feeling that. Washington is probably better than San Francisco and they're probably on equal footing with Carolina. So I would say like, yeah, four or five. Um, and when I look at the other three teams, like you're not even close. You're in, you're in the teens, whether I don't even know how, you know, there's 16 teams. So you're, you're in from 10 to 16 is somewhere where you're falling into. Um, but I don't, I just don't see as complete of a roster, um, so I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see, but I really I I don't see any other team that's really going to be able to challenge them. There may be a team like maybe the Giants steals a game from them, um, but I think you know, looking at how they absolutely obliterated Dallas last year, I don't see Dallas figuring out how to stop that offense or that run game. Um, and certainly, you know, 
being able to having to deal with that defense. Um, I think they sweep Dallas and I think they sweep Philadelphia um, without question. I don't know how you can look that that makes it all so confusing to me. I don't know how you can look at the Cowboys roster against the uh, football team's roster and say, Oh, the Cowboys are going to win the division like that. That's so confusing to me, but anything else on the NFC East before we wrap up for the, for the day? I don't think so. Let's maybe we'll just to reiterate for our listeners, let's rank them real quick and then we'll move on. Yeah. So I have Washington football team winning 11 games, finishing first, the Cowboys winning uh, eight and finishing second, the Giants winning six, finishing third, and the Eagles winning four games again, finishing last. Nice. I've got I've got Washington winning the division at 10 wins. Uh, I've got Dallas at second place with uh, nine wins. I've got New York in – or, excuse me, uh, Philly in third place with eight, and New York in fourth place also with eight wins. Okay. I got Washington winning the NFC East with uh, 10 wins. I've got the Giants finishing in second with eight wins. Uh, Dallas and uh, Dallas at third with five wins. And Philly uh, looping in the back end at four. Bill, always the optimist. Everyone's 500. I think that's the way the division's <laughs> going to play out. I really do. Just teasing, Bill. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll be able to go back in, in a couple of months and, and see who was right. That's right. If, if Even if no one listens to these podcasts, it would still be great just so we have all of our fire takes on reference. That's, that's what I think this year when we have our, <laughs> when we have our uh, couple like fantasy football mock drafts, we should record them but not actually send them out just so we can laugh at how <laughs> terrible our takes were. But we'll, we'll do it like from the safety of knowing that nobody else will ever have to hear them. <laughs> yeah. We still have to figure they, out how we're going to talk about fantasy football in these chats because we're not going to be able to. <laughs> no. It's just not going to happen. But we need to, though. That's a huge part of football. Just, we're, all we're going to do is like sandbag. I mean, it's going to be like an hour of silence. I think we we're just going to lie to our listeners. I think we bring in owners <laughs> from our league and have them talk. Um, I, I'm all for that. That way we can hear what they think and we don't have to well, Bill, say you, anything. You don't have to say that. You know, now you now it's the cat's out of the bag. Did I, did I say you, the you, Did I say you, the quiet part yeah, out loud? You, you did. You did. You did oh, a bad. Bill. You did, you a, did bad. a bad. I did a bad. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that's our NFC East. We'll be back here with the AFC South next. Who could very well be considered the new uh, NFC East uh, based on the teams this year. So, anything else before we say La Vie? Sweet. God bless the proletariat. Yeah. God bless the proletariat. All right. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for Thanks for hanging with us. Peace. Take care, friends.